Good evening. Welcome to Words on Whiskey, episode 57. This evening's show is an interesting one in that we have a young man who is giving back the skills of his trade and sharing it among uh, his peers and taking on two apprentices. And we're delighted to welcome Ongoran, who is working as head cooper in Tullamore Jew Cooperage. So let's just bring in Ongoran. Any questions, please, of course, let us know. I'm delighted to answer them. And uh, let's just bring in Ongoran. How are you doing? Very well, very well. Thank you for joining us this evening. I'm sure you had a full day's work. Oh, yes, I did. (laughs) How manual and tiring is it physically? Oh, it is very, very manual and very tiring. We're using a heavy armor all the time, as I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, We're using a lot of hand tools. I will show you uh, a bit later. Yeah. We have to have a quick pace, quite a uh, quick pace, because we have to produce quite a good amount of barrels, between 20 to 30 barrels a day, which is uh, quite a significant amount. It's quite physical and you're quite tired, uh, quite tired at the end of the day, yeah. Let's get around your name, uh, Ongoro. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Ongoro. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. Ongoro, Ongoro. A lot of people, uh, for example, in Scotland, will not call me by my real name because they, they could not, so they will call me Daniel. Because it was, oh, was easier. But when I arrived in Ireland, I was like, okay, uh, now I want people to call myself, uh, to call my real name. Uh, yeah. So they started to say Ongerand, which is like a, an a, a easier version. We've established you're, you're from France. What part of France are you from? From the north. Uh, a, a little place called Saint-Omer, which is uh, like, what, an hour from Lille, which is the capital of the of the northern part of France. It's really like if you know where is Calais, uh, where you have the English Channel, that'd yes. be three minutes away. So really not a a place where you can find coopers at the moment. Like yes. the last coopers in the north were century centuries ago. Are there many wineries? I mean, it's not a notorious place for wine. The north of France, is it? Oh, there's no wine. Uh, no wine at no all. No wine at all. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah. only have uh, small distilleries of uh, like prune distilleries and this kind of stuff. But there's yes. no whiskey, no wine, uh, no coopers and no cuckoo. You told me earlier that you were in- always interested in wine. And then uh, how did that come about? How was the wine interest about? Well, because it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it was just something. Yeah. I suppose it's such a part of French life as well. It is. It is socially. It's very important for French people to always, you know, meet each other and have a, a little glass of wine and have a little chit chat. It's some cheese. It's, it's it's part of the culture. We don't even think about it. We have this is our relationship with wine and cheese, and it's, it's how it is. Good food, good wine. Yeah, it is. Good weather, good life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there a, a resurgence or a development that people drink taking to whiskey now, or has it always been there? See, as as a young lad, I, re- I always remember, like, uh, when I was younger, sometimes drinking whiskey, but not like I'm drinking whiskey now. Uh, yeah. But, like, in my surroundings, in my family, very few people would drink whiskey. It would be really rare. And, like, I would, I was, I would always remember my uncle uh, drinking a bit of whiskey at, at the end of uh, a Christmas dinner. You mentioned when you were younger. I mean, you're a young man now. You're, you're only 29. And... You got your apprenticeship done, but how did the whole thing come about? Because it wasn't completely planned, I wouldn't. I was not planned at all. I joined uh, an association 
trade association in France called the Compagnie du Devoir. Uh, it's, we can translate as uh, the, com the Fellowship of Duty, which is uh, an association that uh, exists since the uh, 11th century. And we are basically uh, learning, they are, they, they are providing knowledge in 30 different manual trades from masons to cabinet maker to leather workers, toolsmiths, etc., etc. And basically, we I had to travel around France for some time to learn my my trade. So basically, I I was I joined this association as a, a as an apprentice. Uh, I was wanted to make uh, cabinets, so I was I joined as a cabinet maker, which yeah. didn't last long uh, because I met I met a cooper when I was in Paris, and he talked about this. Is a uh, this trade, and I find it passionate because I was already into wine, and I wanted to discover more, and I did. I I looked for an apprenticeship, and I find one in Champagne. Is how it all started. And Champagne, what kind of casks do they use in Champagne? They would use a two hundred five liter uh, cask, which is a bit smaller than the the Burgundy cask. It's the same kind of shape with a like local wood, local oak wood. Yeah. Uh, so not not so different. It's 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 same in, it's done in the same way. Uh, there are some variable in terms of uh, uh, wood hoops. Wood sure. hoop, okay, uh, uh, it's mainly the same. Yeah. And in the Champagne region, obviously it's very specific. But how different is each region in France in terms of the cask? So you you know you've got your Bordeaux, your Burgundy, you've got your Cognac regions, you've got your Champagne regions, Calvados, and so forth. Are the casks themselves very different, or are they similar? So you have different of the wood of, of the wood, okay? Because depending on where your wood is grown, the yeah. wood will be slightly different. It's called the terroir effect, and the the shape of the wood will be different. Uh, mm -hmm. The tradition in, around the the hooping would be different. Yeah. Uh, the look of it, like a, a, a Bordeaux, is two hundred twenty-five. It's it's a bit higher and and I. Uh, in lens, okay, and yeah. a bit skinnier. A burgundy one will be uh, small, but a bit fatter. The different regions you worked in: the cognac region, you worked in Champagne. Presume you worked in some wine regions as well. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I, I, my, my path where I started in Champagne, okay, I was working for uh, uh, the only uh, coupe region in Champagne called the de Champagne Ardenne. Uh, which is the only one. Then I moved, uh, so I spent two years there, and then I moved to the Calvados region, where I was working for, uh, uh, again, a very small group bridge called Defrièche, and yeah. we were doing yeah. what we call footers, so it's all barrel and vats uh, that are above a thousand liter. Instead of taking, uh, let's say, a day to make, uh, like, a, for example, in the day, a team of, of Cooper would do around 30 barrel. We would spend yeah. months and months Building one barrel, yeah. So it's it's a very long, it's longer process. Everything is uh, uh, bigger, and you have to be extremely careful. Uh, it's very hard to get the wood because it's a very rare wood. Uh, the wood we're we're using for for for, for barrels are much different and harder to get, and very expensive as well. After that, I I went down to Cognac. Uh, I spent one year in Calvados and then one year in Cognac, where I worked for a very young cooperage called Vinia, where we're doing bars for Cognac and wine in general. A lot of exports as well. And what type of wood would these typically be? Would they be French oak mostly, or would yeah, they be dealing yeah. with American oak? 
time I, I had to deal with American Oak was uh, in Cognac, actually. Uh, okay. But it was for exploitation. Uh, it was the only only time really where I had to use American Oak. But yeah, it's mainly Cecil uh, Oak or, uh, you know, Cactus uh, Robio, as we call it. It's, okay. it's, a, it's a, like the French European Oak. It's what we use most of the time, yeah. Okay, so is that limousine? Limousine, Ponce, uh, Allier, Champagne, etc., etc. Each forest will have its, you know, like Tao, for example, uh, Limousin. In Limousin, they, the, the, the wood is used for cognac. First of yes, all, yeah. it's very close and the grain, the, the, the white grain makes it uh, good for the maturation of cognac. For one, you would use uh, uh, narrower grain. Very, very fine grain. And, and working with these different woods and different types of barrels, how different is it to actually work with those casks? Are, are their properties completely different in terms of how you assemble or how you deal with them? Or is it purely the effect they have on the liquid? So, uh, no, they are, they are built in the same way, more or less. Okay. Uh, yeah. They have different shapes, but they are built in the same way. Uh, the, the difference would be the, the toasting, okay, yeah. and the seasoning of the wood. So seasoning mm-hmm. is before you you make the stage, the wood, you're not going to use a green wood because it's full of harsh tannin. Yeah. So you need to season it to you let it dry for around 12 to 36 months in the open air. So all of the harsh tannin uh, will be washed away and the wood will be will develop some kind of uh, microorganism inside the wood that will help uh, developing its uh, flavor profile, basically. What about the sustainability then of wood? I mean, the, there are huge forest regions, obviously, in France. Is, is that something that is becoming very important uh, for all the well, cooperages? Or? We are very ahead of the game in France for that because the, our organization, the ONF, which is an organization that takes care, takes care of, uh, of the woodlands in France, uh, started in 1645. So since then, they started to grow a lot of woods and to make plans for the future because we knew that we were going to need a lot of uh, of, of woodlands. So we are in a very sustainable uh, system in France. Of course, like the, the the number of bowels is increasing every year. I think we went from uh, 300,000 bowels uh, each year produced in France, like in the, in the, in the late 90s, and now we are almost at five half a million bowels. Which is compared to what the uh, the states are doing in Kentucky, Apple, it's nothing. Uh, Having worked with all the different types of woods and the different products, I, I assume as well. So you would have dealt with the wines, you would have dealt with the kind of champagnes. What does that bring to your skill set? Having worked with the with the different varieties, uh, and what's your favorite type of wood to work with? Well, definitely, like, it's not because I'm French, but the French one is much easier. It's it's easier to work with. Okay, right. it's. Uh, it's a very different wood. It's still old, but it's very different. Uh, this is all due to the way we are uh, cutting the wood before prior to uh, when it's getting logged. Uh, in France, we use we cut everything in quarters, okay? Yeah. Which is very important for the uh, water tightness. In uh, the States, they are going to do more uh, sewing. So they're going to sew the, the wood normally. We are splitting in France, splitting the wood, okay, yeah. to make the staves. So we take a, a log when you have a when you look at the I'm going to take this it's easier. So let's imagine yeah. that's okay. <laughs> yeah. We would cut quarters, okay, and make the state out of it. 
and this is how we make uh, something watertight. This is because uh, the, the big difference between American and French oak is uh, what we call the tylos, which is uh, an element of the wood that make it watertight. In the American oak, the tylos is very is very dense, so yeah. you don't have to have to be that that uh, demanding with the wood. It will it will be watertight anyway. No, so French oak has a, a larger grain and it is more porous. It, it's it's not porous, okay, but it's it's more it's more demanding. So you have to prepare it in a different way. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And tell me then about the apprenticeship. When did it start and how long did it take and and how many different places did you end up going to? Uh for my apprenticeship uh, I did three years in Champagne and I stayed in Champagne and I was going at school in Burgundy. Right. Basically. So I was going every it's like a alternate you alternate between uh your job, normal job and apprenticeship. And then is there an exam you sit at the end of it, a practical yeah, exam or a theory okay. or there is a practical and theory exam, yeah. So after that, you ended up going to Scotland. The apprenticeship was a, a so after many years, so I spent five years in France, okay, going around uh, the regions, and after this, I went to Scotland. Yeah, they were still part of the same organization. So they, as I said, do, would you like to do a, a an experience abroad, which is quite normal for for us. Uh, it's something that we most of the people from this organization would do. Uh, they would do one year abroad, and I was sent to to Scotland to the Space High Cooperage. So there, that was a, a very different, very different game for me. That's uh, a very different world and a very different way of working. What are the key differences then, then, in terms of tooling, in terms of the wood, in terms of what you produce? So uh, in France, you would use a lot of uh, machines to make bows. Uh, let's be clear: in France, you don't do bows by hand anymore. For, for for many years, the only thing you do by hand is repairing, which is exactly what they do in Scotland. Most of the, what they do in Scotland is repairing. They don't produce many many bowls, uh, mm -hmm. so it was more uh, it was different in a way that I had to really learn. Also, I, I learned how to make bowls by hand, but uh, to use it in a very efficient way, to be able to work fast. So it, it was a a big struggle in the beginning because I have to relearn my my own trade basically uh, yeah. because we are work, working with very different uh, wood, very different bow. I never touched a, a bourbon bow before going in Scotland, and it was very weird mm -hmm. to to see how different it is from a, a white bow. In terms of working with these bows, and how what are the differences? Is it they're more difficult to work with, or easier, or what are the differences? Well, French bow are more fragile, I would say. Okay, because they are finished in a you know in a better way. So you would put more finish, more beauty into uh, into the bow, like the ASB, the bourbon, and the, uh, they would be more rough. Okay, they are uh, a wooden container, content, and there's no great finishing. The, the there's a lot of rust. It's a very different product. It's a very different uh, use as well. Uh, like when you go in a in a wine in a winery. Uh, they they love to have beautiful casks. Uh, they want that. That's part of the of the show, I would say. It doesn't affect the the flavor, or is it just cosmetic? Well, well there are different products as well on the inside. On the outside, they're different, but on the inside, they're very different. In uh, for wine, we don't char, for example. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. We toast. All wines have toasted casks, or are any unchared? So, no. Uh, the wine the wine industry you don't have to use casks. Okay, 
Okay. It's, uh, it's only when you want to. It's by tra- in some regions, it would be by tradition. Like in Bordeaux, they would use a lot of cask, but it's very expensive. So not all the wineries can afford and maybe not all, uh, all the winemakers love to have this oaky taste with their wine. And not all yeah. wine is made to be made uh, uh, with oak. Of course, yeah. To enter into bow, yeah. it, it, it just depends on what product you are you are making. Yeah, and then with the obviously the different spirits as well, the Calvados, they're completely different to the wine and the, the Calvados. Uh, in Calvados, it would be more like it's a spirit, so it would be more like uh, like the whiskey or Calvados. And one question in here from your from Liam Liam Sinclair he says, uh, which wood are you looking forward to using at Tullamore that will be new to the brand? So I think Liam is looking to see what you're going to be doing in the future in terms of releases. But well, we are working on a lot of new products. I uh, cannot say much. Uh, but yeah, we're working with a lot of uh, new woods. Uh, we are experimenting a lot. And uh, you, you'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, you, you, I mean, you, you, you do have sherry finishes. So you, you have the big barrels there from Yeah, yeah of course. That we region. have sherry yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, we'd have a bit of uh, wine cask as well. We have uh, some Hudson's, Hudson's yeah. cask, which are little, little 25 liter uh, cask. Yeah. But yeah, we, we have, I'm trying to push into discovering more, uh, more cask, more type of wood, uh, even oak. There's like new, new stuff being discovered uh, uh, every year. Like, for example, I, I was reading today about the uh, Japanese oak. Kerkus uh, Mongolica, which is a, a new type of, uh, it's not a new type of oak, but it's, it's, it's very new to the to the whiskey industry, and it, it, yeah, it, people are trying to uh, to experiment with this. But it's a very hard wood to uh, a very hard oak to work with because it's very porous and very very weak. Yeah, but yeah, there's all sorts of wood that we, we can use. So in the wine sector, do they use wood other than oak, or is it nearly all oak? Uh, it would be mainly oak. Uh, yeah. There is very sporadically uh, some other essence, but uh, yeah. the oak is is great for wine. Okay, because yeah. you have a good the right amount of tannin. It's not too tannic and it's not too harsh to the palate, and it has good uh, flavor profile when it's being toasted. Yeah. That's why it makes it a very interesting. And it's it's uh, a hardwood that doesn't perish. You do, it doesn't mold. It doesn't uh, rot. So it's something that you can. You can, you know, keep for years and years and years. Take me through the rest of the process then of producing a, a barrel. And let's say it's a typical wine barrel or a typical kind of whiskey okay. barrel. So what, first of all, we would uh, select the white food for the customer, depending on what he wants, what kind of profile. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then we would uh, uh, shape the, ba- the stays one after the other. Okay, they all have different shapes, and there is around thirty stays in every barrel. And we 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 are make, we're going to make the the outside, which is going to be round, uh, rounded, and the inside, which, which kind of so follow the roundness of the outside, and will make the the joint. So this is done mainly by by machines now. So you have machines that can do either one step at a time or. Like the the most advanced would do everything at once. So you put the they put the, a plank. A stave plank square into the machine and it comes back a ready stave. But it's not right. okay. That's it's not uh, it's not banded yet. Okay, so we have we still straight and so we we are going then to raise the cask. So these uh, are in French where you're going to put all the stave together. Okay, and you'll have a, some kind of a, a dress. Okay, 
uh, and then after that you will be you will you'll start the 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 toasting. So you start by preheating. Initially, you need to raise uh, the heat uh, a lot, like to 250 degrees. Okay. Is this to make the wood more supple to bend? Yeah. So basically, there's a component in the in the wood called the linen. Uh, will get you know pasty and elastic when uh, when heated. So you need to put the you, you need to put the, the right temperature. So all the linen inside the the, the staves is uh, you know kind of making making elastic becoming elastic. Okay, yeah. then you are going to be able to bend. So you bend everything all together with a with a, a string or a rope or whatever. You could, you have different way of doing it. And then you have your ready bow. Then you could you can put all your hoops in, and then you your your basic shape of the bow would be ready. So at this point, when it's toasted, okay, and the toasting is always in France is mainly done with uh, with uh, oak shavings, okay, and oak uh, uh, leftovers. Uh, you'd start the toasting. So this is uh, the process of cooking the inside of the bow very slowly, okay, depending on the, the flavor profile you want for your bow for your for your wine. And the toasting does what? It uh, releases. So it will activate component uh, uh, that will, after that, uh, uh, interact with uh, the wine. Okay, yeah. so there'll be an exchange. There'll be some stuff absorbed from the wine, and so, some uh, by, by the wood. The, the some component will be released into the wine. Okay, yeah. and some stuff will you know, kind of add together. Okay. Yeah. There's this like the three main reaction you have into the uh, between the wine, you know, and the whiskey. Was for the whiskey as well, and, uh, and and the wood. So the main difference then between um, charring and toasting is just the amount of heat applied and how long it is. Or it's is a it... very different. It's a very different process. So charring is here just to uh, maybe, uh, maybe some of uh, the listeners will will be aware. It's just here to re- remove some of the bad bad flavors. From the yeah. from the whiskey, the rubbery kind of uh, uh, and very copper so, kind of yeah. So that's that's basically acting like as a charcoal uh, uh, filter. Yeah, okay. a purifier in a way. Yeah, yeah, a purifier exactly. That's, that would be the main difference. Okay, but uh, in terms of that means then that the liquid would be more absorbed into the into the wood if it's heavily charged as, as opposed to toasted. So toasting will go more into the wood, okay? Mm-hmm. Because it's a very long. It's like cooking very uh, slowly. It's like also uh, toasting will mean more absorption than charring. Yeah. Okay. Right, so okay. so uh, if I uh, can explain very uh, uh, easily, the toasting is like cooking for for a long time. When you're doing a dish, you're cooking yep. for a long mm-hmm. time. So it's going to go really into the wood and activate a, a, a bigger layer, a thicker layer of the wood. To, to these components, so there'll be more more, more, more components. So the, the the higher your toasting will be, the bigger the, the amount of components uh, ext- extract component will be. So, for example, let's make the difference between a wine, a, a white wine, and a red wine. The white wine doesn't like uh, heavy toast. Okay, so you'll never you'll rarely find uh, a heavy toast for white wine. They will do what we call the white. Uh, Toasting, which is a very light uh, toasting, so right. the period of the time would be uh, the the toasting period of time would be uh, smaller, 
And is that because the white wine is more delicate, more susceptible yeah. to absorbing yeah. the flavors? And yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't want to okay. add too much colors in the, into your white wine. Of course, yeah. So it's almost counterintuitive because you would think when a barrel is charred heavily that there's more cracks for the liquid to seep into. Yeah. Whereas you're, you're saying the toasted ones actually are taken in more. Maybe it's more uniform. Okay, so the, what I, I still that I don't like about charring is the thing is the charring process is very tough to the wood, okay, but it doesn't penetrate well okay. into the wood. So you have this very thin layer of char, okay, and yeah. then very few of the, the rest would be actually toasted and activated by the heat, okay? Right. So yeah. that's, that will give more, if, for example, if you put a wine into a, a, a bourbon bowl, the result would not be great. It will be very harsh and, you know, it will not be a good result because uh, most, of the, most of the wood layer would not be activated. Yeah, it would just be the surface char. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Every day is a learning day. I thought the exact opposite, so that's uh, that's good to know. So I think you have somebody here from, I don't know if you know them. That's my parents. Ah, uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's nice. Nice to hear from them. Yeah. So tell me, how did you end up going from Scotland then to Ireland? How long did you spend in Scotland, in Speyside? Uh, so I spent four years in Scotland. Uh, I spent... One year in each uh, of the Speyside uh, uh, workshop that they have, they have one in uh, in Speyside, uh, in the Speyside region, and one in uh, in the Midlands uh, okay. between Glasgow and uh, and Edinburgh. And uh, when I was there, I was uh, contacted after that by uh, William Gonson's son to join their operation in in Gaven. Uh, are you familiar with the Gaven distillery? Uh, uh, it's where we do the Hendrix and the Grounds and the no, I'm not familiar with that at all. No. So yeah. what's there? So it's a big distillery. It's a huge distillery, and we do. Uh, there is a big cooperage with around 14 coopers right. uh, on site. Uh, there, there is around, well, let's say, 70 warehouses uh, around there. It's, it's quite a big operation. Yeah. So what's the name of it? I didn't catch the name of the whiskey. It's a, a Gaven distillery. It's where we do the Grants uh, Hendrix Gin, if you know that. Ah, uh, okay. I, okay. I know the products, but I don't know the yeah. distillery, yeah. yeah. We do uh, the Monkey Shoulder as well over mm-hmm. there. We yeah. finish uh, Stella Jerry as uh, a rum. Uh, we'll do uh, Elsa Bay uh, uh, single malt as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, we do different products over there. But yeah. it's, quite, it's quite a big, uh, a big distillery. And yeah, so a lot of different... Obviously, there were different techniques then for each product, each wood. Oh. We were, you see, like we were doing, we were repairing barrels for the for the site, and there was yeah. a lot, a lot of barrels to repair. Uh, yeah. It was mainly for the just for the whiskey. Uh, oh. We never do a, a barrels for gin because it's not, we don't use barrels for gin. Right? It's pretty, not 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 us. So. Okay. How did the opportunity come about to to join uh, Tullamore? Yeah, I I think very small amount of time after I joined uh, Gavin, uh, Gavin, they asked me if I would be interested to go in uh, into Lamar, uh this week because they were starting to build a new cooperage. And it uh, was like probably two months after I arrived, they asked me this. And uh, two years after, they say, well, it's ready. Do you want to go? I say, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, I, I would have not missed this kind of opportunity to, to start something uh, brand new. Uh, in a brand new series, it was it's, it's, for me it's a dream job because I they told me that I was going to uh, to uh, to start an apprenticeship 
uh, start with apprentices, and I just wanted I, something I wanted to do for some time. Uh, I was not feeling ready before that, and uh, I had to push myself a bit because uh, you have to understand that when I arrived in, in Scotland, I was completely new to this world, and I had to basically do another apprenticeship, and then in very like in five years, I, I, I start from a little little guy from France who didn't know a lot to now head cooper of, uh, of Tullamordu, which is, yeah. I mean, it's quite amazing. I was, I would have never thought about, uh, about this before. It, it's, it just came and uh, yeah. I took the opportunity. Yeah. And, and an amazing opportunity as well. I mean, there's not many places you would get the, the opportunity to uh, join a startup essentially. And so, yeah, I mean, you get your chance to really put your mark on, on what's done there. Yeah. So I, I set up the quality of the wood, Okay, of all the repair we're doing, uh, yeah. we would have uh, a quality, like we have golden rules uh, that I, uh, I would have set up about how how the car, the cast should look like, uh, what should we do when we repair. For example, I was telling you that we remove all the bong staves when uh, we are, you know, repairing them, even if the bong stave is good, because everything in the, in the Tullamore is, is palletized, so it makes it better it is less uh, maturation loss less leak uh, because most most of the leaks are coming from the bong uh, so i try i try to you know save as much whiskey as i can yeah so the, the barrels the majority the vast majority of barrels that come into Tullamore are coming from the united states yeah. and expert and barrels will be the majority of them i know you do cherry butts and all the rest but so those those are barrels that come in from the state. What are the changes that have to be made to them? What are the, you know, is there something that has to be done? What's the process? So the barrels come in. Yeah. So the barrels come in. If they are not good for filling, they would go straight to the cookridge. Otherwise, they are uh, being hardened. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to harden the hoops, and then they are being filled. Okay. And what are the typical sort of things that you, you come across that cause problems? I think we mentioned before, we were talking earlier, and you mentioned you also quality control the wood in terms of checking yep. for sulfur and so forth. What yeah, there's the a visual standard. Uh, we, 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 need to be, uh, we need to be able to see all the, all the casks, we have to inspect them and to uh, segregate all the, the, bad, uh, the bad smelling uh, casks. Uh, mm-hmm. The rusty hoops, if there is a rusty hoops, uh, we, we cannot fill them and put them in warehouses yeah. because you'll end up with a, with a, a pond, basically, yeah. uh, <laughs> which you don't want. Uh, big cracks on the bong, uh, big, big, big cracks in general, uh, mm-hmm. bad heads, everything that, that makes the, the, the barrel leak and everything yeah. that makes, wow. would make the maturation uh, uh, a failure. So it's a uh, cask, for example, has a bad smell, which is rare yeah. for, for bourbon because most of them are <laughs> quite, quite, as I knew, they've been filled once. So they, we, we rarely have problems with bourbon barrel. Uh, we would have more problems, for example, with refillers. Are all the flaws in a barrel, are they visible? No, they- no not all of them. I mean, you will see them afterward when they leak. Uh, yeah. Uh, for example, Sometimes you can have, you, you need to be good at reading wood, okay? So you see a, a bowel and you should be able to say, hmm, that's, that's a specific space in the, in the, in the bowel is going to leak. Uh, is that just from experience? That, that's a lot, for, a lot of experience, yeah. Uh, you need to be able to read, that's what I said to my apprentices, read the wood, uh, try to, to guess what's happened, what happened to the bowel. 
you have also like when you see a bowel, you have all the history of the bowel. If you look well, you can see all the history of the bowel. Uh, you can see where it was leaking because you can see a trace. You can see uh, if it, how many times it was used. You can sometimes see the date, or you can you can you can read the bowel. And this is how we we help uh, ourselves. You know, I like I I, I try to uh, to teach to my uh, apprentices that uh, they should really take time to read the bowel before you know attempting a repair or putting to to, to filling. Yeah. Let me just share a few photos here. I have a, have a few have a few photos here that I can show. So uh, this is you obviously working in the in the Cooper. So tell me, the Cooperage opened at the beginning of last year, beginning of 2020, isn't it? Uh, we opened, uh, it is the first bowel in June 2020. June 2020, okay, so it's yeah. not that long. And what are the facilities there like? So it's a brand new, it's a brand new shed with uh, all the machineries are uh, are brand new, uh, which are they they are machine that uh, perform performing well and well known in the coopering world. Uh, it's it's all brand new. We are trying. We are we have a, a wood management system as well, so all the cars could have a a, a label with uh, all the information. Okay, so we have I would have a screen for example. If you can see on the background, I have a, I have a little screen on my. Uh, on my bench, where I put all the information I do about the bow. So if I repair, uh, if I if I repair a bow, if I take off a, a, a bunk stave and I rehoop it, all of this uh, task will be put into uh, a, a, into the history of the bow. Yeah, so everything's traceable, and you know, it's easy to locate because yeah, everything is traceable. It, yeah, we know easily what happened to the bow. Yeah, I mean, it's not a small number of barrels you're dealing with. I know you have just finished the, the ninth warehouse up there on the site. Yeah. So, I mean, how many barrels is that? It's around, yeah, roughly 300,000 barrels. Right, okay. So, it's for, for one cooper, I mean, in the beginning I was alone. Uh, uh, for one cooper, it's, it's a lot. Uh, so, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're talking even about 0.01% of, of them being bad, that's an awful lot of work. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I... I was, I'm quite strict with the bowel, so I, I tend to, uh, reject a lot. So I, I, I gave myself a lot of work. That's for sure. But, you know, now, now I have like the two apprentices are, are doing great. Uh, they just started in March, uh, uh this, of this year. Well, uh, here are uh, the two now. So Dylan and Corey, now you'll have to give me the right way around who is uh, who. So Corey is the one on the left and, okay. uh, Dylan is, uh, uh, the one on the right. Yeah, and they were hired internally, so they worked in the in the bottling plant for. Corey, yes, Corey was uh, in the bottling uh, bottling hall. Uh, Dylan was familiar with the bottling hall as well. He was working there as a as a temporary. Uh, he was uh, he was used to come here, and he actually came one day uh, after work to talk to me and say that he would like he would love to to start an apprenticeship uh, at, the, at the cooperage, and I right. took him one day to to do a little trial. Yeah, that's how it. Very good. What are they doing here? Are they just? No, they're just. Uh, I was looking for a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so I see there at the background. There's uh, reeds. Is it? Is that for fixing the heads? So yeah, you have reeds. Yeah, you have a. Uh, that's that's what we use to to uh, help with the water water tightness. Uh, yeah. It's it's something we use when the bowl is dry or when it's just being repaired uh, to. Uh, to leave time to the uh, the 
because of the the wood needs to swallow a bit with water. Sometimes it's dry, so it shrinks, and we need to give time to the wood to to swallow a bit more. So you put these reeds that will swallow with in contact with water and help with the water tightness. There's John Quinn saying he, you're busy, which is a. <laughs> I didn't know John was fluent in French. Yeah. Well, I've yeah. been told he is, but I never. We never actually had a conversation in French. Ah, okay. You have to get him next time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Actually, we uh, so we have John on next week on the show next week. So although he's wearing a different hat next week, but um, what is it you're looking for when you when when you take on an apprentice? What is it that you took from your experience as an apprentice and want to share with, with these new guys? And, and what is it that is different from how you learned to how you want to teach these new apprentices? Well, I, I learned quite in a hard way. Uh, it was not an easy, easy journey to, to be where I am now. It's not, it was not an easy journey. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that I, I want my uh, apprentices to have an easy life okay it's still a hard job it's still quite demanding so i'm quite demanding as well uh, with them I, I i want them just to be passionate about what they're doing otherwise they they won't they won't last and they won't like to uh, to, to do that uh it's a, it's a it's a trade you do by passion uh you need to be curious about what you're doing you need to be able to learn uh not just for, for the four years of apprenticeship but all along your life I'm pretty sure you can ask any Coopers, uh, even the oldest one. They they're still learning. It's still yeah. it's still a, a trade we are where where we are uh, learning a lot in general. Uh, that when you know that as as uh, late as like the, the 80s, we didn't know uh, what was the toasting impact on the uh, on the wine. All of this research yeah. on toasting, I think, is quite new. So you want to you want to learn you, you cannot just be there and just repair up cask and wait for the time to pass you have to be interested in what you're doing uh, so i'm sorry yeah my feeling my feeling is that you you approach the work almost i'll say spiritually but in, uh, instinctively rather than mechanically you know yeah because otherwise i mean yeah you, you have two young guys and you have to to give them interest in the in in the, in a job, so uh, I try to to stimulate them in like not just repairing casks, yeah. which can be a, a kind of a redundant uh, a job. I make them do a lot of uh, little little casks and uh, little uh, piece of of coopering, uh, yeah. and they, they love to do that. They are they are asking for it, and we are we are we are not even you know supposed to do this in the apprenticeship. The apprenticeship is just asking for the coopers to be able to repair. I, I wanted uh, young guys that wanted to learn and not just what they had to learn, but more. Uh, and this is exactly what I found in the, in the Corey and Dylan. So I think they are a great match. Uh, they are, they are friends. They were, they know each other for, for some time. So it's, it's a good, it's a good team. And I'm pretty sure they are, they'll be doing well in, in the future. Yeah. I mean, what's, so what's your aim? What's their timeline in terms of becoming qualified? Well, it's four long years, first of all. Uh, so they'll they'll learn everything from you know just repairing valves, any kind of of cask, uh, from the normal uh, bourbon to sherry butts or everything that we have to repair wine cask as well. Uh, they have to learn everything about their tools, uh, sharpening their tools, taking care of their tools, all the names, the history of the casks, uh, the the wood reading, uh, knowing everything about uh, like growing oak. 
full balance, uh, being able to perform a task in a warehouse when there is a, 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 a cast leaking, all this kind of stuff, like a fully trained cooper, basically. You will have to, to learn everything. And in four how years, much, four years, in, sorry? How much do you get to learn about how the whiskey or the liquids are interacting with, with the wood? I mean, is that something that happens again over a period of time? Or do you know what way a particular barrel is going to offer its flavor to, to the whiskey? They have to know the mechanic and the chemic and the chemistry behind mm-hmm. maturation. Definitely. They have to know the name of the components. Uh, they have to know how it how works. The stuff that I explained to you earlier, uh, that yeah. there's some extra extract, uh, there's some stuff absorbed and et cetera, et cetera. They have to know that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's part, it's part, it's part of their, of, of their job. And they have to, they, even, even if they are working in the whiskey industry, I want them to be able to go, uh, later, uh, I'm just saying, uh, in the wine industry and to be able to be as good as French Cooper. Yeah. What is it that you're offering them that they, that you didn't get, for example, when you did your apprenticeship? Patience. <laughs> patience. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, people mentioned the word patience so many times when it comes to whiskey. <laughs> you know. I have one uh, question, one question in here from Ashwin. And he's asking, what's the biggest cast or barrel you've made? I think you, you touched on that earlier. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if, if it's cast, not vats, the cask, it was 3,500 liter. Wow. Uh, vats, I did bigger, uh, but I don't, I, I don't remember the number. I think it was around 70,000, but I'm not sure about this. Uh, yeah. But yeah, quite, quite big barrel, yeah. In terms of barrels, there's a physical limitation, isn't there? about how big a barrel can be before it starts collapsing under its arms. <laughs> yeah, limit, no. The limit, the only limit you have is uh, the wood you can find. Uh, okay. For example, I can give you an example. The burr, okay, the burr bow in the south of France, which is yeah. the biggest bass in the world, uh, would be over a million liter. Uh, just, just to find the wood, it took uh, 15 years. Right. Okay, okay. so... And you cannot find this kind of food anymore. You cannot find this kind of lights, uh, which is because, you know, you could find it in the, back in the time, back in the days, you could find like very, uh, high, uh, woodlands. Now it's a bit, you know, more, a bit limited and, you know, it would not be that useful. So I think this the only limit you have is your, uh, yeah, the wood and your, uh, your wallet. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I, 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 well, look, I mean, I know you can get exotic woods that are expensive as well. In terms of problems that occur with these, you know, I, we had Ian Leonard on a couple of few weeks ago and he was talking about, uh, you know, the bun being the particular point where a lot of the failures do happen. Uh, but, the bun, yeah. Yeah. But in terms of the type of casts that cause the problem, I mean, do, do heavily charred casks cause more difficulty than toasted casks? Or is there any link there? No, there, there will not be any link there. Uh, of course, when you do a, an heavy char, uh, you dry out the cask a, a lot more. Uh, yeah. So you, you you need to you know the the, the, the wood will be will be shrinking or great leaks. But if you know how to toast or char your bow, normally you should not have any problem. It's not it's not made in uh, in whatever way. You have to be like for example, if you are charring a cask which has already the the cross and the chime on it okay. yeah uh you need to protect these otherwise everything will open and everything will be uh, uh, will be leaking so 
So at the moment, all, all the casks are stored vertically or they're palletized. In, in the States, you get a mixture of, you know, palletized and racked. Which is better, in your opinion, for whiskey production? There's always that way, debate. Yeah, but in a practical way, it's better palletized because you can get more barrels into a warehouse, okay, mm-hmm. and it's easier to manage. Uh, the barrels are made to be racked, so the bong with the bong stave should be uh, put up, you know. Uh, this is why you put the whisk, weakest uh, uh, staves, okay, they should be on top where there is no pressure. Okay. Oh, That's, you mean on top of the pallet? So you uh, know. no, on top, on top. When you are racked, when you are when they are on the on the belly. Uh, yes. The the bong should be up. Okay. So the oh, bong is yes. not leaking. Okay. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, and there's no pressure on the bong. When you put them palletized, there's pressure on the bong. And uh, with temperature, the temperature and uh, and uh, and during the summer, the the pressure of the heads. So inside the bow, there is uh, what we call the heads. Uh, yeah. The head space. Where you have a bit of air, it will it will get uh, will get more pressure during uh, the summer months because there's more temperature, and it will quite apply a lot of, even more pressure on the bungs, uh, which creates a physical leak. Yeah. Uh, so do you move the bungs to the top? Do you move the bungs to the head of the barrel then when you repair? So uh, when I repair them, I take off the the bung stave completely on the belly. Yeah. And so I replace it with a normal stave, and yeah, we put the 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 bung on the top. Yeah. Okay. So does that mean does that doesn't happen to every barrel that comes in, does it? Oh, yes, yeah. I oh. mean, we're repairing the the bung stave. Uh, at the end, we would like to have a hundred percent of these uh, because they're they're great. Uh, uh, they're not leaking, and we don't have problem with bungs. But at the moment, uh, most of the barrels that are coming in, I mean, I'm not repairing everything. We are yeah. feeling mobile that we are like that I can repair at the moment, yeah. uh, and I'm, not sure, I'm sure it will not change. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, for now, for now we, we're dealing with a uh, with, with bong, so belly bong, and it'll be like this for for some time. Yeah. Well, look, maybe this is a good time to take a bit of a, a breather and take a bit of a break because yeah. we know there was a release today. So bear with me. Uh, I'll grab a bottle here. <laughs> so for those that aren't aware. Uh, there is a travel retail release uh, here of Tullamore Dew Rouge, uh, and you know more about this uh, obviously than I do because you've worked on the on the tasks for these. Yeah. But this is a uh, thirteen-year-old single malt. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Cured yeah. in bourbon and uh, sherry casks, and then finished. I think you were saying for eight months in Pomerol, Pomerol French Burgundy casks. Uh, Bordeaux. Bordeaux. So that would be, that Bordeaux. would be the Bordeaux region of France. Yeah, Bordeaux. <laughs> Bordeaux. Get that right. So, and actually, I'm pouring it here mostly, mostly in the glass. But, uh, what involvement did you have with this uh, release? So I have uh, the release for the release. Had I made, I mean, making the 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 whiskey or doing the release. Uh, making the whiskey in terms of like, oh. the cast that was used. Uh, so we we had to select the cast for that and find the cast for the for the Pomerol. Pomerol is you have to know is the tiniest region in the Bordeaux region. It's not part of the Bordeaux appellation, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not the Bordeaux on itself, but it's it's, it's in the Bordeaux region and it's yeah. the tiniest uh, uh, parcel of, of of wine in the, in, in this region. Uh, so it's quite quite hard to get. It's quite hard to get barrels from this region. Luckily, we we, we find them. Uh, and you know you have to have the you have to have the best bowel ever for that. Okay, so I, I was yeah. there to make sure that we we get the bowel, we get the best uh, bowel uh, 
from from the from those casket and uh, make sure that there were no no off notes inside the bowel. So I was making a, a visual and nosing uh, assessment of the bowel yeah. and making sure that they were. I was I was watching them in the in the warehouses as well, just to see how they were evolving and how they were you know uh, interacting with the with the spirit. Yeah, as a wine itself, uh, is, is it a heavy red wine or is it a medium? That would be a full-bodied. Yeah, Pomerol would be full-bodied. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's uh, Pomerol is mostly known for Merlot. You can yeah. have a bit yeah. of uh, other stuff like Cabernet Franc, but it's it's the place for Merlot. So it's quite a heavily and heavily bodied and fruity uh, uh, kind of wine. Yeah. I mean, look at out of here. Obviously, and it's unusual. Well, not hugely unusual, but there aren't many single malts coming out of Tullamore. I mean, they're renowned for the for their blends. I mean, they. They do have some great single malts. The 18, I think, is one of my favorite single malts of all. This one definitely has that uh, red tinge to it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's very fruity as well. It is, yeah. Uh, how do you say in Irish? Slaint? Slauncha. Uh, Slauncha. What would you say? Slaunte in French. Slaunte, yes. Yeah, you see, I mean, John Quinn isn't the only one that can... Actually, I'm going to do the whole show next week with John in French, and we'll see how... How we get on, but uh, I, yeah, I, I want to see it to hear his French. So make him speak in French, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do get the wood through this as well, though. I yeah, mean, the, the yeah, wood on the finish really come through. Yeah, it's a bit tannic. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's actually it's quite delicate. Yeah, it is. Right. It's a- you were involved in that, so that came to the wood. The cask came in. I don't know how many casks were involved in this, but. How long were the uh, how long was the finish for? So it was around eight months finish, okay? okay. Which is quite 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 a long finish for a finish is not that long normally. Uh, yeah. As we were talking before, it's like there's no rule on it, but it would be less than a year uh, mostly. Uh, yeah, I think they had to experiment in the in the length of the of the of the finish, and they find that eight months was you know the right balance. Yeah. I have uh, one comment in here from uh, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. How are you? How many casts would you do per day in Tullamore? Or how many would Ongaro like the lads to hit for? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so be careful what you say. Don't take your target too high for yourself. I, I have very useful minions and very useful appliances. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> now, I... I on my, on my own, uh, when I started, I was uh, doing around 20 to 24 barrels a day. Uh, now, where was the apprentices? Uh, we, we go more around 40 barrels a day now. Okay. Okay. But it's still a tiny percentage of, I suppose. Yeah. It is. It is, yeah. Uh, what, are, what are the uh, other barrels like then to work with? You're telling me you do the sherry butts and so forth. And uh, what, are, what are they kind of typically... How are they typically different in flaws to the bourbon casks? Or is it the same sort of thing that goes wrong? No, it's kind of a, the wood is a bit different, okay? It's not made in the same way. Uh, those barrels are kind of made in a way of, uh, a bit like a, a, a wine barrel. But the quarter sawn as well, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they, they, are, they would be different, a bit weaker, so because they have a bigger pitch, you, the pitch is a difference between the the diameter of the head and the belly. Yeah. They have a bigger pitch. Uh, they would tend to break a lot. Okay. The good thing with those those casks is that they're very thick. 
they are very thick. So even if you have big breaks in them, you still have a good uh, play of wood. Uh, and so yeah, they are quite uh, quite 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 uh, hard and very strong valves. Yeah. What's the biggest catastrophe you've seen in casks? That, have you ever had a whole pallet fall down because of a weak barrel? I Obviously, I not in Tullamore, of course. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, you, have to, if you have to deal with a lot of bad valves. And uh, sometimes you can open valves that are not being taken care of very, and you'd have, for example, worms inside. Uh, it, would, it would just stink because, you know, you have to, you have to be able, you are, you know, with whiskey barrels, they tend to conserve on their own without any problem, without having any, uh, vinegary taste or, uh, you need to, to wait a long time or leave them open. Wine barrels are a bit more complicated to, to leave, uh, empty. They will, there's not as much, uh, concentration of alcohol. So you'll have more, uh, bugs, uh, you'll have more vinegary taste and molds. So yeah, sometimes you can have quite a bad cocktail of, cocktail of, uh, of flavors when you're putting a barrel. Yeah. And what happens when you do get a, you get a barrel in that has a very high sulfur content in it or a bad aroma or bacteria. What do you do with them? You just replace the stays or you, you destroy the whole barrel or? It's just if I'm like, you can rechar it. Okay. Uh, you can skive uh, and rechar the barrel. That will absolutely be fine. Okay. Uh, and if after that is not good, uh, you know, you would discard it. You know, yeah. you don't take chance. You don't want to to be wasting two hundred liters of whiskey. So you, you be, I better discard a barrel if I'm not sure than you know sell it for filling. Yeah. What is it then? Um, we talked about you having an interest in working with wood. I mean, you, I mean, you studied music in college, so I suppose to go from studying music to woodworking is. Uh, do you well, see yeah. what you're doing? you consider what you're doing? I would, but would you consider what you're doing as a an art, a, as a real artistic element to it, or are you seeing it as craft? On a daily basis, I would not say call this an art, okay, because it's, it's a craft, it's a trade. Uh, yeah. An art, I, I would do, for example, a lot of coopers in France love to do this. They love to experiment with shapes and make uh, extraordinary vows. Uh, that would be more hard than trade, but still, it's a mix of it. It's a, it's an art in your trade. You try to, yeah. to push the boundaries of your trade and try to create something quite unique. What is it then right. about wood and working with wood and working with barrels that attracted you? And, you know, what is it that uh, you love about working with wood? It was just the touch and uh, the fact that you have to use a natural element to create something, uh, all this knowledge about trees, uh, the fact that you can do a lot of stuff with wood, okay, uh, from uh, bells to guitar to uh, uh, stairs to big buildings and cathedral. I mean, it's such an important element in architecture and it is, everything yeah. we have. But you were telling me you you were working on a side project for yourself. You made a guitar. And I know you have it there. So can you tell us <laughs> your the guitar that you made? And, it, it went away. It went away. It's not here anymore. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. They don't have legs on them. But yeah, I, I just think it's That's my yeah. first first handmade guitar. I mean, it really looks like great. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing to see. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Obviously, this is really delicate fine mm -hmm. work. 
But he obviously loved working with wood full stop. And I've noticed that about Coopers, you know, you know, um, Ian, who was doing carpentry in the house with wood and Joe Buckley, who makes unusual elements with his. Uh, uh, actually, and that's another thing. How much do you get to interact with um, other Coopers in Ireland? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I never met any Coopers in Ireland. Really? Oh, we don't have many, I guess. Well, the COVID, no, but first of all, the COVID didn't help. And that's the only time I'm going to mention COVID. Uh, it didn't help uh, because, you know, I arrived in February 2020 and uh, it was the start of, uh, of it. So I think you brought it with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have COVID before that. But yeah, I mean, is that something you would like to do to... Kind of deal with other coopers and yeah. At the moment, I'm working on the site projects actually to put together uh, coopers. So I am I am on an early talks uh, with a Irish uh, uh, Irish whiskey association. Okay, uh, with John Quinn actually an early talk about trying to set up uh, an Irish uh, guild or trade federation. So that would that's, be great. That's, that's, my, that's a big plan I have for 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 Alan. I, I I feel like we have the capacity, and uh, we, it could be a great a great adventure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It would be great to uh, it would be great to see that. Uh, I know there's maybe there's six or seven Coopers altogether in Ireland. Mm-hmm. I think there's two up north. There's a couple uh, a couple with uh, Kentucky Bourbon Cooperage, and obviously Jared Buckley and his apprentice down in yeah. uh, Middleton. So there's not many. Uh, do you, will you be doing repairs of barrels only for Tullamore, or do you plan? So to at the it? moment, at the moment, I we're going to focus on, on how uh, this series. But yeah, I would like to see in the future, and I think that's probably part of the natural flow is would be as well to work for for other series. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's, yeah. it's it, like you would have a lot of small distilleries that would need a, a, a valves. So I think it's something that could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, it would be good for for the apprentices and I as well to go and have a look what's, of what's happening outside of uh, Tullamore and see and meet other uh, other people. And uh, it's it's always a very interesting thing to uh, work for other uh, distilleries. Yeah, but, I mean, it seems one of those things. I have to say that, and I, I've noticed that amongst. All Coopers, and you know, and almost everybody, and everybody wants to learn. You mm-hmm. know, everybody has something new to learn, and, and presumably, you know, this is knowledge that you're sharing with your apprentices. And, and yeah. I guess, from my experience, uh, although in a different field altogether, you, you get to learn something so much better when you get the opportunity to teach. You know, because you yeah. learn both ways and you really well, clarify things in your oh, own definitely. head. It's, it's, uh, I think it was very hard in the beginning. In the first few months, I had to adjust and and put my uh, shit together and try to go back into my uh, what, what, what I learned in apprenticeship. Uh, yeah. it, it's very hard. You, you, are into, on, on, you are teaching people, but you are in the teaching to yourself how to teach. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was very very hard in the beginning. Now we are getting to know each other better. Yeah. Uh, we know how to interact. I know their weakness. I know their strengths. Uh, so I can adjust. They would not have like Dylan and Coy would not have the same uh, apprenticeship. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll try to make it individual. Okay, because they are okay. two different person. I cannot be, I cannot be uh, reacting the same way with one and, and in the other. 
Can I ask you one question that I mean, if, if I gave you two two tasks and you both uh, you set them both to work on something, yeah, does each cooper have their own signature? Can you tell who repaired a barrel by looking at it? Well, in a in a good way, I think we want a bit of both. We want to make it look uh, as good and standard. Uh, you always have your little signature in some way. If you work long enough with some of the coopers, you'd you know. Uh, how the bow would look like, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you have to work a long time with them. Uh, like I, when I was in the given Cooperage uh, in Scotland, some of the guys were working together for thirty years. Uh, they would, they would, they would definitely know if a bow is from one guy or another. Yeah, definitely. Could you tell us about the different uh, the difference in the tools that you used in France and the wineries? And the shipper, as opposed to the tools that you would have used in, or that you're using now in Tullamore. So um, they are roughly the same, okay, but you'll have some exception. Uh, for example, I'm going to show you this, this like a draw knife, okay, plan uh, yeah. in French. That this is a common tool that we have for, with France and uh, most of the coopering world. This is even used for carpentry and joinery. It's not uh, specific to cooperate, but it's something we use a lot. Uh, and what's that for? Well, we use to, uh, to uh, it's called a, we use for several stuff. We use it to uh, make the basil on the head, okay? So, mm -hmm. so like you have the head and you have a little uh, uh, basil, okay? Yes. We would do the basil with this by hand. Uh, I'm not saying I'm doing this uh, uh, in, in, in cooperage in France, we, we rarely use this. Uh, as, an apprentice, as an apprentice, as an apprentice, as an apprentice in France, I was doing bows from scratch entirely by hand, without any 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 machines. So I was using this to make the outside of the of the staves to, to make them round. Uh, I used it to make them the, to make the heads as well uh, to adjust the thickness uh, of the of the on the top of the staves. Uh, yeah. You can use it for a lot. Of, it's very easy to use, and you can use it for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Then after that. Yeah, like I'm going to show you now a specific tool. But you can, you could find this in France, but it's something I saw more in Scotland and in the whiskey industry. It's called a jigger. So this basically just to to uh, to shape the inside of the bow where where you have the the cross, just to adjust and have a, a smooth surface. Right. Uh, does, does it make sense? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you, you get the curvature. You get the curvature on, on, the, on the inside. Side. Yeah. Uh, and that you have the heads. So that's uh, with a hammer and driver. That would be the you know the Cooper's favorite tool, I guess. Well, that specific one is a, a as de rabattage, which is a, a, a an ads. Okay, that's what we call it in English. An ads that we use uh, in the we were using in wineries back in the day when we were using uh, uh, when we were repairing inside the winery. As they use it in the, in the, in Scotland and in the, in the repairing uh, cooperage for for to to do the chime basically. Yeah? Are you aware of the, what the chime is? No, not no. Really. The chime. <laughs> so you have the profile, the profile of the of the stage. You take the, the profile, and it will be the the little uh, basil that you have on the top of the stage. Oh, sorry, is this where the head would slot in? No, that's the cross. Ah, that's okay. the cross. The the, the chime is way is a uh, is above above the the cross. Okay. And what's that? What's the function of that? It's just uh, to make it look. Good. Okay, to have something okay. regular uh, because when you are turning the bowl, you want this to be smooth uh, for for your hand. Right. Uh, it's just a, a finishing tool as well. 
uh, I don't like term finishing. It's just to make the the proper shape of the of the bow. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. I mean, you mentioned there that um, a lot of the barrels now they're machine made. When it comes to repairs, repairs can only be done by hand. Some tried, some tried to do it by um, with machines. I mean, yeah. in a certain way, you can use machines to make your life easier. Uh, but that's I, for lifting I, and things like that. Not, 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 not even. Uh, see, if I don't see why we would make our our days in life harder by doing everything by hand. I can understand the, the folklore behind it. I know it's good for apprentices to know how to make everything by hand. But mm-hmm. we are in uh, 2021, and now we have good engineering uh, uh, machines. We, we are using machines like to make the hoops, for example, to take off the hoops, to press the hoop, uh, to, of course, join the staves, to rejoin the stave, so to prepare the, the, the side of the stave. Uh, I would use normal generic uh, uh, uh uh, joiner's tool like a bandsaw, or a circular saw, or everything, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, there you go. So there's June O'Connell, she, and that's that's a very good point. I, I I think we had some definition in the last issue of the barrel points, but yeah, we should actually go into the naming of. Yeah, so I and, should have prepared this. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it would be great to have actually, um, because I I know that. You know, even the, the different hoops have different names and things like All the hoops are are riveted, are they, when they're closed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the hoops are riveted. So uh, it's rarely, you rarely see something different than that. Yeah. I can draw a stave if you want. I can I can try to show you. Well, let's have a quick look and see if we can do it. I, I actually have some diagrams somewhere, but not on... I don't know if you can see. <laughs> no, that's, that's crap. Let's do this later. <laughs> Another time we'll do a presentation on this day. We'll bring you yeah. in again and yeah. maybe do... Uh, we'll get more technical. Yeah. No, but it is interesting to to see, you know, the, how maybe they vary between different types and so on. Your your English is phenomenal. And actually, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, you. you haven't been here that long and you're picking up some Irish euphemisms Mainly the one starting with an S and ending with a T. And uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, how have you found it living in Ireland? What are the most uh, like? See, I have got to, to compare with. Uh, I'm not going to compare with France uh, because I'm biased. Uh, France is my is my own place. Uh, of course, I love France, but I would, I would compare it with Scotland, for example. Uh, I I feel that people much warmer in Ireland. Uh, mm-hmm. I. I appreciate and I enjoy much more the the, the country than uh, in Scotland. I love I love uh, Ireland. It's a it's a beautiful place. Uh, during the during the the, the the one and a half year with my partner, we went around uh, all the Atlantic uh, uh, way yeah. to do some wild camping. We did some a lot of tracks. Uh, we we met some uh, amazing people. Uh, yeah. yeah, like even like well, last week I was with a aviator whiskey society. Yes, uh, I know. Yeah, nice yeah. for the launch of the Rouge, and it was absolutely amazing. Everybody was so nice. Uh, it yeah, was really yeah. my, the first time I was into a social event in Ireland because I, I didn't get to experience really like live music and concert and the real Ireland. And yeah, uh, yeah. it was really the first time I, I get to, to witness the warmth of the uh, of the people. Yeah, I mean, you're you're so unfortunate that you came at a time when everything was. Was yeah. locked down, no, but I think things are starting to open. Uh, I know the just the visitor center in Tullamore is being developed, yeah. and uh, uh, I would expect that to be close to completion. Will the so, cooperage be part of that tour? So 
uh, in a certain way, yes. So you'd you'd see the inside of the cooperage briefly. I am not going to perform uh, uh, like for you. I will I will doing I will be you see yes. me doing my my job normally. Okay. In yeah. uh, in 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 some time, yeah. After that, in some years, uh, that will be part of of the tour. Okay, yeah. where I'll be taking time to explain to people. But that I think people normal. want to, people will be interested as well to see the genuine working yeah. environment of a cooper and. Well, um, the tour that we are going to provide uh, uh, for, for 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 the people who are going to come to the module uh, is going yeah. to be something like this. Where you'll get to see the real uh, the real place, not the yeah. museum, the real place. Yeah, I have one question. It's a silly question, maybe in some sense. But the clothing that a cooper wears, they wear almost an apron. Is yeah. that traditional in Ireland, in Scotland, across coopering altogether? Yes. It would be across coopering. Uh, yeah. Some would have a, a full apron, some half. I know I like to use a, a half an apron because right. it's better. It's just here to protect you when uh, when you are you no know, using this. You don't want to be uh, cutting your uh, your leg, so you have an apron for that. So it's for protection. It's not to keep you clean. As well, to keep you clean as well, because you know a, bowel, a bourbon bowel or refillers, like a bowel in general, is is quite dirty and full of rust and all. And yeah, yeah. so you can have a little spine of wood going into your into your uh, your your skin if you're careful. Yeah, I'm sure you get a lot of splinters, and you get uh, you know your hands go hard, and you have a lot of calluses. In the beginning, yeah. When I started as an apprentice, I was well, I, I was not wearing gloves at all, okay, and I was doing everything by hand. And my, you know, with the tannin of the oak, your your skin turns black basically, and you just it's not it's not dirty. You can try to wash it for for, for, for it won't come out. It's the tannin is in your hand, so yeah, you will see a lot of the, a lot of this stuff. Uh, we get a lot of uh, a very hard skin. Yeah, it will, it will take me some time. In the beginning, it's hard. You, yeah, I remember having my hands bleeding and full of, uh, you know, it was it was bad. In the beginning, it was bad. But uh, which time your 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 skin gets tougher and you know, yeah. after that, I mean, you don't feel anything. Is there a question of strength or is it a question of how you use the tools? Well, as you can see, I'm not. Uh, I mean, I'm not a very heavy guy. I'm not uh, the typical. I'm. Uh, let's say 65 kilo. I'm not a strong man. Okay. Uh, I had uh, for that. I had to learn how to use uh, a bit my brain a bit better, just to you know make my day easier. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have very strong Cooper that would use the strains. Okay. It's a so I think it's a mix of both. You have to be able to use you know your brain and your your strains. Of course, it's still a physical job. Huh? I'm not going to lie to you. It's a very physical physical job. Yeah. In terms of being over here in Ireland, what are the things that you would really like to do, especially now that COVID is uh, not at the forefront as much as it was? What, what are the things that you'd love to do here? I mean, you've learned your English is perfect, so I mean, that's gone. But as a musician, I guess as well. I, I, I'd love to see like, yeah, more uh, live events uh, with music. Uh, I would love to do a St. Patrick's Day in Ireland because it's the second one that I cannot do. Uh, See, I would have done lots of St. Patrick's Day abroad, but I feel like yeah. it's, not, it's not the same. Everybody told me that uh, going in Galway or, uh, is the best place for, for St. Patrick's Day. So. Well, there you have the June has uh, June is volunteering to teach you Irish, I think. <laughs> so that, that'll be the next thing. She's already used more words than I can remember from school. But in general, how 
from France is Ireland viewed in terms of whiskey? Yeah, obviously Scotch is the predominant whiskey there, yeah. but in terms of how Irish whiskey is viewed, I guess uh, to personal experience, see, I, I didn't get to experience all this. Uh, like I know that in my family, uh, in general, they would they would drink Tullamore even before I was part of the distillery. Yes, uh, because for them it's it's you know, very easy drinking whiskey uh, yeah. and good whiskey. Mm-hmm. And not so expensive, you know. That's a kind of, uh, if you don't have too much, too much money, but you still have good taste, uh, and Irish whiskey uh, is good. You know, now it's the whole thing. Like, I'm trying to educate a lot of people that are completely ignorant on, of, uh, of the Irish whiskey world. Uh, tell them how it is. Uh, that there's, there's Scotch whiskey and there's Irish whiskey. They are, they are, but they both have their personalities and they're different. So I think, I think, yeah. I, I'm not sure how popular it is in France. But I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it would be. Yeah. It's becoming more popular. I definitely. I know the sales are rising. But yeah. What's you of all the Tullamore? There's no point in asking you about. Well, maybe I could. What's your favorite Irish whiskey? <laughs> That's a trick question. So, apart from Tullamore. <laughs> well, no. I'll ask you personally about Tullamore, and then we'll ask you about others because um, John my, is listening. My, so my favorite Tullamore would be the 15 year old. Uh, trilogy, the trilogy, the black one, black label yeah. one, yeah, yeah. A fantastic one, yeah. Fond this one, it. yeah. And I, yeah. I'm quite, I'm quite fond of this one. And we have a, another new release, uh, Tullamore Honey, which would be my easy drinking uh, uh, Tullamore. Yeah. yeah so we're a little one. bit disappointed. I have to say, we mentioned that that is available, but it's not available in Ireland yet. No. So you are privileged. Yeah. Uh, How you have to come to my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so you might have a few people heading your direction, but yeah, I have to say, um, yeah, for myself, I have to say the Phoenix, I remember. Phoenix is good as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's such an underrated and such a good yeah. whiskey. Uh, I really I didn't the get to the 18 is by, of course, the 18. Uh, yeah. the, the Phoenix, I, I'm just a bit annoyed because I, I didn't get to try the 55 ABV. Uh, mm. That was released uh, back in the day. I I just had the one that is a bit smoother. The well, when we meet next time, I'll swap you some of the honey one for some of the fifty-five percent deal. <laughs> That'll be a good swap. And if John's listening, he knows what to do. So I'm sure he'll send you a, bo- a bottle of that. Outside of that, I mean, are you a whiskey drinker, or do you prefer wine, or I mean, I or, yeah, or everything. No, I, oh, I I would. I would love whiskey. Okay, I'm not going to say it's my favorite. I I tend to prefer wine in general. Yeah. But if you want to say spirits, uh, tequila and uh, cognac would be uh, my favorite. Yeah, and whiskey will come third. Whiskey will come third. Yeah, very good. Well, listen. Uh, I hope I'm not disappointing people about, about this. No, John Quinn said he can't hear. <laughs> but listen, um, I've kept you longer than I said I would. I think it's fantastic. It's it's amazing that uh, you've come on an amazing journey, and it's great to see the impact you're going to have. You know, because this is an impact that you have when you share your knowledge with somebody and your experience with someone. It's something that stays on. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. that must be something that must give you huge satisfaction. Well, I I love I love to talk about about all this. I love to uh, to meet people who are interested in this. Uh, having an audience looking at you and and uh, and uh, you know learning about all this is. It's always very rewarding. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I I love this. Of course, uh, I would not. I'm not going to lie. I, I really love this. I love to provide knowledge. I love to have apprentices. 
and they, they already tell me that they would like to, to do the same. They would like to, after that, pass on all the all the knowledge. Brilliant. Well, look, we hope you stay in Ireland longer than just the four years. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Nobody knows what life is going to bring. You know? <laughs> but uh, look, we're looking we're looking forward to being able to visit the distillery and hopefully It'll meet well you welcome. as well. It's great the passion that you bring to it. Uh, and for a young man as well, you, you have so many years ahead of you. So much opportunity to, to share what you've learned and, and to develop more yourself. And you're with a great company as well. So thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. And, uh, thank, you for you. We'll, thank you for inviting me. Look, look forward to meeting in person. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that aviators meeting, the aviators always have great social events. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, great, a great bunch of guys. I, I really enjoy them. They were, you know, uh, very easygoing and we had great easy conversation. So yeah, it was it was great. It was a great time, and you know, I hope to see them again. Yeah, well, we've had a lot of interest and a lot of feedback from from our audience this evening. Thank you so yeah. much for joining us. You know, it, it's great to see. You know, it just goes to show. You know, when someone's passionate about something, how much it draws people in. <laughs> and uh, look, I'm congratulations. Um, I would say, uh, Sante. <laughs> and, uh, have a long, enjoyable career with Tullamore, and thanks very much again for joining us. So, have Thank a good evening. Bonsoir. Bye. Bonsoir. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much, everybody. I really enjoyed that. It's great to see the the passion that somebody has for their trade, and to be able to share that with people. I think it's just so important. And, you know, coopering terms. You know, I think when he. I, I really hope they get to form some sort of Cooper's Guild or something here. I think there's there's enough interest and there's enough people there that would warrant that and the industry needs it. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'll be making the podcast available by the end of the week. So good evening. <laughs>